everybody. Hey, uh, I want to let you know in advance that we're going to save some space at the end of our service to receive people who want to come forward for prayer. I just have this sense that God is going to do something uh, special in your life today. He's going to speak to your heart because the message this morning is for everybody. It's for anyone who has ever struggled with anxiety. Really interesting book just came out titled Girls on the Brink. And it's a secular book, but it highlights the latest research. Now, anxiety is something that everybody struggles with. But amongst our, our young girls, we're talking about between the ages of 10 and 15, this book highlights the fact that reports of anxiety are just severe anxiety, just skyrocketing. Skyrocketing for our young girls. Specifically because of what they determine to be external pressures that have formed psychological impacts that are long-lasting. And they're finding it now in girls as young as eight, nine, ten years old. Recently, about a thousand Americans were asked, what are the sources of your anxiety? And this was their response. Family and relationship problems, the top. Work stress or job change. Change in living arrangements. Major emotional shock following a stressful or traumatic event. Verbal, sexual, physical, emotional abuse. Death or loss of a, loss of a loved one. And pregnancy. No one is immune. The world is an anxious place. And Jesus himself was not immune. There was this moment where he experienced such extreme anxiety. The Bible literally says his sweat became as drops of blood. So whether you take that figuratively or literally, it describes a really difficult moment in his life. We actually get the details just a, a few hours before his arrest leading up to his crucifixion. We read this in Matthew chapter 26. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Now the specific words used to describe sorrowful and trouble, it goes beyond just a, a sadness, but it really carries this idea of just an utter desolation. <laughs> just, just like he just finds himself, this is like a desolate place. And uh, it, it, it's, um, it's this realization. He's the only person who's ever lived who can anticipate the horrific death, physical death, by crucifixion, but more so, it's this loss of the father's good pleasure upon his life in that moment when he takes the sin of the world upon himself. That's why when he cries out, why have you forsaken me? So there's this, this real despondency that's in the heart of Jesus in this moment. And uh, yet, this is the same person who tells you this in the Sermon on, on the Mount. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. Like what? 
Is that even possible? It must be, otherwise Jesus wouldn't say it. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Luke chapter 12. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. Nor, don't, don't be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom. And these things will be added to you. So let's break this down a little bit. The first thing to understand is that the context against which Jesus is speaking, it's obvious. He's talking about the anxiety that you might feel over material things. What you wear, what you eat. So essentially what he's saying is you can't run around naked and you need to be fed in order to stay alive. Don't worry about those things. God has you covered. Look at the birds of the air. I've said it before. If you look at, like, even if you look at, at sparrows, species-specific sparrows, they're all the same, right? You don't see one that's any heavier than another. They're all virtually identical. God provides them what they need. You're worth more than the sparrows. Don't worry. God will supply what you need. Now, most of us, I would, I would venture to say, everybody in this room probably most everybody that you know personally, you don't really struggle with this. <laughs> we just don't. Uh, we're not really worried about where our next meal comes from. Most of us probably have at least more than one pair of shoes in the closet, okay? This, this passage lands different if you live in Burundi. E even what our mobile kitchen does is we go out and we serve the homeless. For many of them, that's the most nutritious meal they're gonna eat all week. That's not really our, our struggle. Uh, by the way, God uses his people to bless those who are in need. That's why we have so many of these partner organizations so that God's people can be mobilized. You are blessed to be a blessing to others. That's why you have so much abundance. Not so you can absorb it on yourself. That's not what it's about. It's, it's blessed to be a blessing to others. Additionally, Jesus says that all these negative emotions of worry that you have, think it through. You're rational enough to understand. Is it gonna add one hour to your life? No, in fact, I would argue that it actually might take away an hour or more, <laughs> the stress and the physical toll it takes. So is this the end of the discussion? Jesus simply saying, don't worry about what you're gonna eat, what you're gonna wear. Next topic. No, it's not, right? Because there are so many things that, that cause us to just unwind. So many things to worry about in life, beyond what we eat and what we wear. And so the Apostle Paul adds to it. I don't know if you have ever experienced this, but this is just how it works. It's like when you become aware of your anxiety, it only increases your anxiety. Have you ever felt like that before? Or maybe you've suffered some depression. And the awareness that you're depressed is like this vicious vortex. And it keeps sucking you deeper and deeper and deeper. The more aware of your depression, the more you become depressed. This is just human nature. So the Apostle Paul adds to 
the words of Jesus in Philippians chapter four. He says, uh, do, do not be anxious about anything. So how is this even possible? It must be possible because it's, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a command. So if you back up a couple of verses and put even this verse in its context in, in Philippians chapter four, verse four, Paul begins to explain it. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So the first thing Paul says, if you're gonna overcome your anxiety, here's what you need to do. First, first step, rejoice in the Lord always. What, what does that even mean? What does it mean to rejoice? Well, in the middle of the word rejoice is, is this little word joy. And what he's saying is if you try to find ultimate joy in anything other than God, you're gonna become undone. Let me say that again. If you try to find the ultimate source of joy in your life, anything other than God himself, you will become undone. You will be wrecked eventually. If the ultimate source of, of your joy is your spouse, you quickly realize that the honeymoon ends and your spouse will, they'll just, ah, they just do things to just like, man, sometimes they can be annoying. <laughs> I said it for you. Sometimes, 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 sometimes. Your spouse will do things to intentionally annoy you. Then the honeymoon ends rather quickly. If your spouse is the ultimate source of your joy, your joy is gonna be very short-lived. New parents, super cute. We can't blame you for putting ultimate joy in the birth of that cute little creature that you hold in your hands. You'll find out. <laughs> Woo! You'll find out. It doesn't take long before that little creature begins to, watch this now, steal your joy. You put your joy in anything other than God, it's gonna be robbed. It's gonna be stolen from you. It's gonna be taken from you and you will be let down. Rejoice in the Lord. The, the focal point of your joy is, in, so what is joy? Well, Christian joy is very different. Joy and happiness are two different, very different things. I'll explain that in a second. But Christian joy, I'll give you my simple definition. Christian joy is, is this feeling or emotion that a believer, has and is driven by the Holy Spirit as you think, consider who God is and what he's done for you. Let me say it again. Christian joy, very different than happiness because if you ask the person, what is joy to you? The world's answer is gonna be very different. They're gonna give you an answer that falls more in line with happiness. Happiness is different than joy. Christian joy is driven by the Holy Spirit within the life of a believer as you think, as you contemplate who God is. We're gonna talk more about that in a second because that becomes very important. And what he has done for you. That's the ultimate source of your joy. Uh, 
in anything else, you, you're going to be you're going to be left desperate. Dow forty thousand. Don't place your joy in the market. Place your joy in the one who owns everything. See, but now it's a different mindset, right? The one who owns everything and who has told you that you will have what you need. So there's this amazing thing that begins to happen when your joy is in the right place, when it's found in God. Because even the things you experience in this life, you can actually enjoy them more. You can find their proper joy place in your life, unlike those who don't have their ultimate source of joy in God. I'll I'll give you an example. It's like you can be eating like the most delicious meal you've ever had. And it's so, it's just like, like, this is amazing. It's the best thing I've ever eaten. And yet, compared to the meal that awaits you at the banquet of Jesus Christ, anything on this earth is so small in comparison. So you keep earthly joys in their proper place. It would be like saying, I had the best meal of my life. Where? Costco. I'm not even talking about the hot dogs. I'm talking about hitting the free samples everywhere. See, and you're like, oh, this is the best ever, you know? I mean, I got that little cracker, and it was amazing. I'm glad you enjoyed that, right? But from the perspective of a Christian, the joy that awaits you, it's incomparable. So you can enjoy it, but you can say to yourself, but this is nothing. In fact, it's nothing to the point that I don't have to have this in order to be joyful on earth because I know there's something greater that awaits me. So joy is different than, than, than happiness in this sense. Happiness is, it can be described as joy's counterfeit because happiness has to do with these emotions and these feelings that are attached to things and possessions. So when you no longer have those things or possessions, you no longer have happiness. And the difference is, think of it this way. The difference between happiness and blessing is someone who is, is um, rejoicing in the Lord finds their joy in the blesser, not the blessings. Big difference. If, if you want to pursue happiness, and by the way, this is built in the fabric of who we are as Americans, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Things. You want to be happy, pursue things. It's an endless pursuit. Your happiness will never be fully satisfied. The difference between happiness and joy. Joy is not found in things, but in God himself. Uh, I I love how C.S. Lewis describes things. He says, it's like we're living in the shadow lands. we, We live in the shadow. That means that We stand behind the substance of the thing that is casting the shadow. And one day, we will experience the full full sunlight. He says, like I, it's it's been nice outside, you know, it's been kind of cloudy, rainy, and so when the sun pops out and it starts to warm up, man, you go outside, you go in the backyard, and you just sit out there and you just, there's something about the, the warmth of the sun in the valley, and it's just like, oh, it feels so good. And it's like, oh, it's such, an, it's such a joyful experience. And then C.S. Lewis gives you this crazy statement. He says, you know what that's like? He says, one day, 
you will run up the sunbeam to the sun itself. Someday, you will run up the sunbeam to the sun itself. Enjoy your time in the sun. It's nothing compared to what you will have. I love the way Tim Keller described it. He's so good at this, I hate the guy, I hate him. He's so good at this. Oh! He gives this great illustration example. He says, Christian joy, it's like this ball that you try to hold under the water. It's buoyant. It's always wanting to surface. And the deeper you drive it, the more it wants to rise to the surface. And I love that illustration for a couple of reasons because Number one, it doesn't describe the Christian life as being free from external pressure. It's not like you come to faith in Christ and you're like, all my problems are gone. In fact, in many ways, my problems increased because I gained some enemies. I gained enemies when I became a believer. I became, an, essentially, I became an enemy of powers of darkness for sure. And then there are some people who made me their enemy simply because I stand for what they stand against, I stand against what they stand for, I love them, I don't condemn them, but they consider themselves my enemies, all right? So when we come to Christ, you have enemies, but you also have a friend that is far more powerful than any of your enemies, and that's the source of your joy. So even in the midst of of the enemies and the attacks of the enemies, you, you know in the end, ultimately, that that you win. No matter what life throws at you, it's like you have this anchor for your soul. And this has an amazing effect on those around you, by the way, when you live this out. Because look at the very next verse. The very next verse that Paul gives is this. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The result of Christians finding their ultimate source of joy in the Lord is that they become reasonable people. Wow, think about that. We live in the age of outrage. Christians are to be reasonable. Uh, Everyone is screaming at each other. I I personally don't think there will ever be a, a civil moment again in politics. Nobody's really coming to the table and just discussing ideas. What do you think? What's the merit? Now you don't even have to bring an idea. All you have to do is attack somebody. You don't even know what your idea is. All I know is who are you attacking? Cool, we're on the same side. If your joy is always in being right, you're gonna be unreasonable. If your joy is always uh, attempting to control conversation, you're gonna be unreasonable. If your joy is is attempting to control your image, you're gonna be totally unreasonable. Uh, You see how it works? There's something better, Paul says. He says, the Lord is at hand. Let your reasonableness reasonableness be known to everybody. The Lord is at hand, which is another way of saying God is near to you. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So this, that, that sentence may feel like a thread that needs to be untangled, so let's untangle it a little bit because it's super rich. Do not be anxious about anything. You've just lost your job. Don't be anxious about anything. Your spouse has become critically ill. Don't be anxious 
about anything. Uh, you, you have a child that, is, that has an addiction. Don't be anxious about anything. You caught your spouse cheating on you. Don't be anxious about anything. You've just become the victim of a crime. Don't be anxious about anything. Uh, have you ever said to someone, I just feel like I'm coming apart. <laughs> I just feel like I'm coming apart. Do you know the Bible has a word to describe exactly how you feel? You know what that word is? The Greek word is merimna, and it's translated as anxiety. That is the literal meaning of the Greek word for anxiety. Coming apart. Picture a vase. Throw it on the ground, it just shatters into a million little pieces. That is the biblical idea of anxiety. Just broke into pieces. There's a play on words in Luke chapter 10 with this, uh, this Greek word. It's, it's really, it's quite beautiful. You might know this story. Two sisters, Mary and Martha, and they're entertaining a bunch of people in their home, but they have a very special guest and it's Jesus. And Martha is running around making sure everything is as it should be. She wants to be a good host. If she were to take some kind of personality or temperament test, no doubt, type A, achiever. And so, <laughs> dishes need to be done and things need to be cleaned. Floors need to be mopped or swept. And then there's her sister Mary. Jesus enters, sits down. And, and Martha, in the midst of all the clutter, She just sits at the feet of Jesus. And that's Mary. Martha, the type A, is like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Can you not see everything that needs to be done? And Jesus says to Martha, you are anxious. Martha, you're in a million pieces right now. Literally, you're in a million little pieces right now. You're troubled about many things. But there's only one thing that's necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. In other words, Jesus says, Mary, I, I can see that your mind is in a hundred different places. You're, you've got a hundred different distractions going on right now. And, and, and um, I'm not really on your radar. Everything else in your environment is consuming you, but not me. But you see, Mary, she actually has a right because she's sitting and she's listening and she's enjoying my company. And your mind is consumed with so many things that it's minimizing the most important thing. And that is, I'm here and I am with you now. And so to be anxious is to have a scattered mind. And so the opposite 
of anxiety is to be singularly focused on God. Now, notice Paul doesn't simply say, don't be anxious about anything. He tells you how. And this is the key. You ready? This is the absolute key to reducing your anxiety. He says, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So here's what he's saying. You pray, make your requests, make your desires known to God. And as far as I can tell, what he's adding to that is this. As you make those requests, you also at the same time thank God for whatever he decides to do. Let me say that again. The key to resolving your anxiety is to take all of those broken, shattered, all those things that are on your mind and heart and lift them up to the throne of God. And as you do that, you are thanking him in advance for what he chooses to do. So in other words, you might say, God, I have this problem and I'm bringing it before you. And I think it's fair to say, my desire is to, wasn't that Jesus in the garden? He says, God, if there's any other way, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. me." But then he says, but not my will, your will be done. So these are my desires. God, I would love for you to change this problem in my life. It's a very serious one. But I'm gonna thank you in advance for whatever you choose to do. If you choose to take it away, I thank you for that. If you choose to keep it in my life, then I am gonna thank you for that. I'm not, not saying, hey, then you, you have to pretend like you have to like it and love it. No, you, you might be a little let down. But this is the key to overcoming your anxiety. It is to say, God, my desire is this. I'm gonna let my request be made known to you. It's a serious issue and a serious problem in my life, but I'm gonna thank you for whatever you do because I believe two things about you. Number one, you know what you're doing, and number two, you're good. So it's all about the nature of God and resting in that as a believer. And, and what, what happens is um, there's this result that comes over you, verse seven, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So this is interesting. The opposite of, an, of anxiety is peace. There's where it is. Peace comes in this confidence that you have knowing that God is sovereign and in control and that includes everything, every aspect of your life. And once you go to God in prayer with thanksgiving saying, God, I trust you. I gotta believe that you do have my best interest in mind. However this, however this whatever direction this goes, there's a peace that comes over you. It is inexplicable to those who don't understand it or haven't experienced it. I've heard testimony after testimony of of people who have fallen into the worst kind of storm clouds you can imagine. And then all of a sudden they feel this peace. So even personally, I think for me, one of the more radical times I experienced it, one of my boys was born a little prematurely. He had trouble breathing. His lungs were underdeveloped. And so they took him away real quick and they took him, whisked him away to the NICU unit and, and they wrapped him up real tight and they put him under one of those little heat lamps, right? You know, like the kind of keep your tacos warm at Jack in the Box. I don't think they use those anymore, but you know, 20 something years ago, he was a little burrito under one of those little heat lamps. And his lungs were <laughs> like a hummingbird. <laughs> and he's on one side of the NICU glass, I'm on, I'm on the other side. And the nurse comes by and says, you gotta talk to him, dad, you gotta talk to him, dad. You know, it's gotta make it, it's gotta make it, you gotta talk to him, dad. And I thought to myself, 
no, I, I need to talk to God. <laughs> I need to talk to God. I'm not sure how this is gonna go. And I'm really gonna try to thank you for whatever outcome there is because I have to believe that you are good and that you are in control and that you know what you're doing. And it's amazing because there is this peace that transcends human understanding that guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. He's doing fine. Um, Max Lucado said, God may or may not choose to calm the storms of your life, but he's always there to calm you in the midst of the storm. We see this in Matthew chapter 14. Jesus has been teaching and preaching to the crowds and he needs a break, he needs to get away. Uh, by the way, if Jesus needed a time of refreshment, so do you. So he leaves the crowds, tells his boys, get in the boat, row across the other side, I'll meet you over there. So they're in the boat, they're rowing, and Jesus starts walking on the water. At the same time, this massive storm whips up, and the waves are beating against the boat, and the dudes are kind of freaking out, and they see this apparition coming toward them, and they're like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. There's, this, there's a ghost walking on the water. And, and Jesus says, it's cool, guys, it's me. And Peter, he's like, that's cool. I want, I want that action. He says, Jesus, call me to yourself. Jesus says, come on. And Peter gets out of the boat and the liquid becomes solid underneath his feet. He takes one step and he takes another step and he's looking at Jesus and then all of a sudden he starts to feel a rain drop. And he starts to feel the wind. And he's like, oh, this is bad. I just remembered I'm in the midst of this horrible storm. And he starts to sink. And what does Jesus say to him? Your faith is small. Your faith is small. If he would have kept his focus on the Savior, dude would be walking on water. But he got distracted. You know what, what happened? Marimna. His mind was in a hundred different places and he lost his focus. And what happened? The anxiety began to build and build and build. And he begins to sink. It's interesting because Jesus in that moment doesn't say, oh, I can see you're panicked right now, so let me do this. Glassy sea, no storm. Is that better for you? You feel better about things now? Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't do that. He says, just, here's the lesson. Keep focused on me. So, I encourage you, as I've encouraged myself this week, to not look into the waves uh, or the wind, but trust in God. Because you can't have the peace of, that comes from God until you've made peace with God. That's an important thing for me to share with you. And so the way you make peace with God is by receiving Jesus. That's, that's how you begin to experience peace and joy. And so I know that, that there are so many things uh, in your life that cause you to look and, and be distracted. And so that's why we wanna end the service in this way, just to give you the opportunity to pray and to let the Spirit of God do whatever the Spirit of God needs to do in your life in this moment. If you wanna be there silently praying for yourself, maybe you wanna turn to person that you're with, 
and pray with them. Our prayer team will be down in front. But here's how we pray. We pray making our requests known, but in advance thanking God for whatever he chooses to do. I mean, look around you. We're not here by accident. God is, he is in control. Do you trust him? So Father, this is a a sacred space this morning. We pray that you would just continue to fill it with your presence. And not only that, Lord, but that your spirit would speak to us in a really profound way because these are the words that shape who we are and even the effect that we get to have on others because when we're anxious, we become totally unreasonable. But when our joy is found in you, we become reasonable. And we experience that peace that transcends human understanding because our, our hearts and our minds, they're, they're guarded by Jesus Christ himself and who he is. Father, lead us in this, we ask. For our good and for your glory. And God's people said, amen.